0: You are listening to The Holistic Travel Nurse. It's time for me to share with you what is out and about on my telegram. I haven't been on there in a while. I thought I'd share things that have been important.
1: If you want to go see the videos, you can go to my telegram and see them. But let's start with this.
0: Good afternoon. It is Monday again, Kim. And we are back in the studio. It is the 6th of June. We missed you all. We missed you last week, but we were very busy. We were... um. We were traveling to St. George. Can yeah. you say it your way? St. George, St. George. We were traveling to St. George, St. George, Utah, uh, because we have a partner in Utah. Yes. Um, Kim, why don't you tell us tell us about the partner in Utah?
2: Well, our partner in Utah, as you all, most of you, should know about by now, is uh, Prosecute Now. Well, it's um, you know, we've been um letting people know about Prosecute Now because everyone wants to know what they can do. So prosecutenow.com is a site that everyone can go to and click on and send letters and get information and all sorts of fabulousness. And the people that um, are also supporting Prosecute Now is a company called Cardio Miracle, which we've also talked about and we actually take. And it's fantastic and it's great for health and helping combat all the craziness that's going on. Um, and you can have a look at that at cardiomerical.com forward slash Martin, and you can get um, a discount of 15% if you use the butterfly code, just put in butterfly and they're a great company to support and they're supporting us and supporting all the work we can do. Plus you get great health. So that's a win-win. So we and to what it is is a
0: supplement that helps uh, your body actually produce nitric oxide to deal with your endothelial it's a cells, good quality. Um, which is, um, a wonderful thing to do and it also enhances vitamin d mm. production john hewlett stan graham brian ingram and the team at cardio miracle have been amazing they have helped support getting prosecutenow.com off the ground they are the ones responsible for helping to program it to get it out there to get it going and so we would love if you would all be interested in supporting their work because they are supporting ours. And so we're really big fans and of lots that. Lots of
2: great results on the health of that, <clears throat> so, too, which you can read about.
0: So cardiomiracle.com and all the details are in the chat. Now, today's uh, today's presentation, Kim, is a deep dive into how interesting it is that we live in times which are extremely fascinating because what happened today, and, and it's actually somewhat comical, apparently there are people at Baylor Medical School Mm. who don't like me.
2: No, they're quick to hide Um, things.
0: (laughs) And the best news about the folks at Baylor Medical is I was actually putting the show notes together for today's show. Had an article that I wanted to share with all of you because Mm -hmm. I wanted to show you how we do deep dives into all the research that's going on. Cool thing about it is Kim, about an hour after I um, sent the show notes out and and got the um, conversation going, the website that um, Baylor be Baylor Medical, um, the website Baylor Medical had where I had this reference, actually pulled not just the article but the whole site down.
2: Yes.
0: Now I'm not saying. Okay. I'm not saying that they did it because I was going to use them on the show,
2: Coincidental, though. Um,
0: but it is funny. It is mm. very funny that, um, that the <laughs> website that was going to be the reference that we were going to use um, actually disappeared an hour after I uh, put in the show notes. Now, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because it actually drives home a very important point. Mm. Um, a lot of people, uh, I think, live in a world where they go, well, if you can't find it online, it doesn't really exist. Um,
2: Mm, or is that curated? Well,
0: I'm going to give you a punchline at the end of the show where I'm going to show you uh, how to see things that do exist, even when they don't exist, because while Baylor was really smart and they got on top of, they got on top of, uh, making sure that we couldn't do this live. The bad news is there's a workaround and I'm going to show you the workaround. How about that? Um, because if they're not going to play fair. Why should I play Why should fair? We right? we'll find so, them
2: wherever they may hide.
0: That's exactly right. So today's show is about unsavories, and yes. obviously Baylor Medical uh, just added its name to the list of
3: mm-hmm. more reasons, more
0: reasons to think of them yeah. as unsavory. Because um, that was actually kind of funny. It was funny, wasn't it? Yeah, it was like funny. you sit there seriously. We realized going, this
2: about half an hour ago. Um, we
0: well, actually, I didn't even, clues. I didn't even realize it, uh, Frank sent me a note going, hey, I've tried to open up the show notes, and I can't get this one to open. And then I went on, sure enough, not only did the site not exist, but the entire site framework in which they this we existed were watching them. Um, actually went down. We're going so, to put
2: show notes up. So that's own. okay.
0: Uh, Frank's going to track with us and, and put up show notes. But a lot of you uh, have been asking questions over the last week, so I decided to do a show, a little bit of a deep dive into how you can be more informed And I decided to pick on our favorite, our favorite topic. Um, Our favorite topic, as you know, if you haven't already known before, is Dustin Moskowitz and open philanthropy. Because every time I say his name, he becomes more public.
4: The guy who likes to hide hide. behind
0: everything. Um, Dustin Moskowitz and open philanthropy. Dustin Moskowitz, the same Dustin Moskowitz that invested in CRISPR technology with Sherlock Biosciences, Mm. the thing that's going to edit your genes um, so that you can adapt to Not climate change better.
2: Yeah, that's the latest sell. That's the
0: latest go. Mm. Um, we want to make sure that. Um,
2: Otherwise, you'll be left behind.
0: We when we the need world to be genetically up. modified <laughs> so that we can adapt to climate change because obviously that's that's
2: what they're pushing a yeah. top
0: priority mm. in at least somebody's world. But here we go. Um, Facebook's co-founder Dustin Moskowitz, our dear friend, uh, we like to talk about him a lot. Um, <laughs> He, he sets up this thing called Open Philanthropy. And, and one of the things I wanted to show you was, um, and by the way, like I said, all of this is going to be out there. Uh, Frank's gonna put up the show notes at the end. I'm gonna give you a bunch of things, but there's Frank putting up notes. Open Philanthropy has a platform in which they tell us what they're studying. And back in the mid 20 teens, they decided to start looking at biosecurity. And what I wanted to do in this particular show is give you an opportunity To have a look at how we go about finding some of the interesting little details about this so what i wanted to do is show you a write-up of a shallow investigation i I like the fact that they said this was a shallow investigation this is not a a deep deep investigation there's a shallow investigation
2: on the fact
0: that we are we are really interested in what the problem is natural pandemics bioterrorism biological weapons And dual-use scientific research.
2: Doesn't
0: sound shallow. Dual-use scientific research. Jim, uh, you know, one of the things that I find fascinating about dual-use scientific research is, Kim, we've talked about this for, I don't know, now several years, about gain-of-function research, Mm -hmm. where we actually take something that wasn't historically harmful to humans, in a lab, we make it harmful, and then, oops, somehow Mm -hmm. it it gets out in general circulation. Um, Like the mysterious monkeypox that seems to be spreading around... Because obviously, according to the most recent reports, we need to be using face masks to stop from getting monkeypox. Despite the fact that most monkeypox transmission, by all scientific data, is passed usually through transsexual and homosexual sexual contact. Now, I don't know huh. when you were last time in a brothel of of I don't know gay men having sex where they're airborne, whatever. Got People got into a face it, mask. Though. But, but apparently, we're supposedly now interested in wearing face masks to stop the transmission I can't of even a, comment. You like Your brain wants to go, no.
2: But I've seen no, people not, increase
0: wearing not really lightly, doing that. But there you go. So, so if you go through this page, what you'll find, and we have the references on here, we find a whole bunch of things about what the problem is. Um, they actually talk about. Dual-use research and the possibility of accidental deployment.
2: Accidental.
0: I love the word accidental deployment. Now, now let's just deployed. let's just stop and think. You could have an accidental leak, right? But an accidental deployment implies that there are acceptable deployments. There are certain deployments that are actually okay. Um, I mean, this this document. If you go down through it, you, you, you kind of lose your brain. And so I wanted you to see this, but what I really wanted you to see is actually the bottom of this. Because down at the bottom, we have four names. And, and the names are Jennifer Olson uh, of the Skoll Global Threats Fund. We have Paula Aloiski, who is the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation person. Michael Osterholm, director of SIDRAP at the University of Minnesota And Tom Inglesby, CEO and uh, Director of the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, Center for Health Security. Now, the reason I'm showing you this is because under each one of these links, and I'm only going to show you one of these or two of them, I think. No, two of them. Um, Under each one of the links, you have a link to that person's um, individual profile which is actually kind of interesting. And what I wanted to do was I wanted to show you what happens when you look inside of those individual pro- profiles. So the first one we're going to look at, I'm just going to pop open my, my screen share, is we're going to go ahead and look at the um, Jennifer Olson conversation first. And if we go back and we look at this September 23rd, 2013, GiveWell, which is another arm of open philanthropy, spoke to Jennifer Olson of the Skull Global Threats Foundation as part of its, are we ready for this again? Shallow investigation, Kim. Well, part of its shallow it. investigation of biosecurity. And basically what they wanted to do was they wanted to find out what the Skoll Foundation was doing. And the reason why I'm sharing this with you is because it's fascinating to look at these reports. I'm encouraging every one of you to read through them. I am not going to do that on this show but I really, really recommend that you go through it, have a look at what the Skull Foundation is doing. But at the bottom of each report, they had a very interesting um, set of important institutions or individuals that, um, that need to be followed up. And, and the reason I'm showing you this is because we're starting with a simple thing like open philanthropy. So that's one organization, Dustin It's one person. And in a space of a very short period of time, what we can find is all of the people with whom he is actually interacting and you actually him. see that skull has relationships with are you ready for this who and cdc mm. obviously once again clearly led by science not by money no,
2: definitely not. did
0: you notice that it's it's Power led by control. science not by money yeah. and we see that the funders States in the space ladies and gentlemen the Rockefeller Foundation, the Gates Foundation, and the Skull Global Threats Fund are three organizations that are participating together in this very interesting project into which open philanthropy is going to pour mm-hmm. more money. So that's screen share suspects. one. But mm-hmm. screen share two, which is equally interesting to me, was the next person identified in the um, in the list of, of fascinating things. And that was Michael Osterholm. Now, Michael Osterholm is actually somewhat of a famous personality. Um, July 30, 2013, he at at SidRap got together with the open philanthropy folks, Alexander Berger and Josh Rosenberg of the uh Dustin moskowitz open philanthropy program mm-hmm. called Givewell. And what we see here is that we have a whole biosecurity thing about the United States government doing things, uh, naturally occurring pandemics. What we saw in this one is that he actually listed out what we were going to be looking for, H5N1, H7N9, Middle East Respiratory Syndrome. And this, Kim, it's important to note, is just on the heels of MERS being a thing. Mm. Right, this This conversation was just as MERS was actually starting to circulate. So... They were right on top they're
2: of it. They were right Stimited. on top of a
0: thing that didn't exist a few, a few months earlier. Um, but one of the things that was fascinating is that we actually, um, we actually had SARS references starting to show in this. Mm-hmm. We actually had things like the Spanish flu, bubonic plague, and smallpox um, listed inside of this. But then, when we start digging into the actual pandemic, what we see is that one of the things that they're very focused on is the shutdown of global just-in-time delivery systems. And it turns out that if you go into this report, and once again, I'm not gonna read you the whole report, but if you go into it, you see that these guys are thinking through exactly the strategies that seem to be playing out every single time we have an alleged pandemic. And it's as though it's coming right off of a script, but it was worth going down to this one, Kim, just like every one of the other ones that we do. Oh, we had bioterrorism with anthrax and smallpox. Um, be be very concerned about this smallpox thing because we've got a bunch of things um, that's coming out but it, as we go to the bottom of this um, we actually see some other names
2: oh here we go okay
0: and we see <clears throat> researchers at the university of pittsburgh medical center we see philip russell mm-hmm. philip russell Hmm. puzzle on that name for a minute because we're going to come back to that one William Raub, who uh, was the deputy director of the Office of Public Health Preparedness at the Department of Health and Human Services. And George Post, senior scientist at the Complex Adaptive Systems Initiative at Arizona State University and former member of the Defense Science Board. Now, the reason why I'm interested in showing you this Mm -hmm. is because a lot of people say, Dave, how do you find all these people? Well, the fact of the matter is I find them because their fingerprints are left behind in every single investigation. So how hard is it to find those names, Kim?
2: Well,
0: not for you. No, but how hard is it? Yeah. Fine. No, those. Mm-hmm. No, we have them. Yep,
2: got them right now.
0: These are unsavories, right? They are
2: very much. So unsavories.
0: let's say that we wanted to. I don't know. Let's say we wanted to pick on Philip Russell.
2: Let's pick Philip.
0: Now, it's not appropriate to speak of the dead, is it?
2: Yeah, if they've been naughty.
0: <laughs> apparently,
2: <laughs> the ghost will apparently, pay
0: if if they've been naughty it's okay to speak of the dead um so so here's the thing i actually decided hey philip russell i've encountered his name many times before because i don't know if you remember but i've made reference to this uh fact several times back in the 1990s kim i was actually uh privileged to go to a bunch of the biological weapons Mm -hmm. facilities in the united states army facilities Mm -hmm. and i think i remember telling you about the the scare that we had when we were underground yeah. in one of these uh, BSL uh, facilities and there was a fire above us. So we were way underground, giant, like cavernous doors yeah. um, and the fire shut us down. And they came on the loudspeaker encouraging us to realize that we were safe. The fire was on the anthrax floor. <laughs> the
5: anthrax floor.
0: <laughs> because so we were multiple floors further down below that. We were sealed in a room, but we were told not to worry because the fire was contained on the anthrax floor. Ah, Let me count. Lovely. Oh, what a lovely thing. So, Philip Russell was a guy who actually worked for the Department of Health and Human Services, also part of the military industrial complex when it mm-hmm. comes to biological weapons. And I thought, well, it would be interesting if we could introduce people to Philip Russell. So, guess what I did, Kim? I feel. I actually figured, why don't we actually share? A little bit of information about Philip Russell. Sure. So what I did was I went to a page, which happens to be a page that the Baylor College of Medicine, have I mentioned them before? The Baylor College of Medicine. Have I you mentioned them that before? many times? Oh, oh, sorry. I thought maybe I hadn't said it before. Um, the Baylor College of Medicine actually did a very touching obituary <laughs> for Philip Russell when he died. Um, and, and um, let's do this. Let's actually do um let's open up this string string and so i'm going to share with you the um the the profile that baylor college of medicine did now i want you to look at the at the url yep which was working
2: was working it was
0: working just just a few hours ago blogs.bcm that's baylor college of edu 2021 january 28th remembering a vaccine pioneer on World NTD Day. Now, that was that a exist. that is uh, the page that I was going to share with everybody. And the reason I was going to share it was because it was worth sharing. There was mm. a lot of interesting information in it, but apparently my interest in sharing it did and Baylor College of Medicine's interest in letting me share it seemed to be in conflict. So I did what every inquiring mind hey, loves um, to do, and up. that is I decided, hey, if they're not going to show it to you, I'm going to show it Deep, to you. Deeper. So here we go. The page that they don't want you to see. And I figure if they don't want you to see it, that's a good reason to let you see it. Don't you think, Kim?
2: Yep, absolutely.
0: Um, and there's a there bunch of go. ways to do this. But this is the July, the sorry, June 23rd, 2021 image of the January 28th, 2021 um, National School of Tropical Medicine post. Um, which is, by the way, a post that was written as an obituary um, to to the, uh, the late um, general. And, and if you look down here, you'll see that the top of the article is all this really cool stuff about neglected tropical diseases. Now, neglected tropical diseases, for those of you not familiar, are actually really important. Um, I mean, super important, like leishmaniasis, uh, river blindness, things like that, which are very treatable very preventable but cost millions of people their eyesight their life Um, a lot of these things schistosomiasis uh, hookworm infection river blindness all kinds of things are are real issues that really need to be addressed and the reason why we don't address them is not because they're difficult to address they are they are um, not addressed because we just don't think poor people count and so we let Hundreds of thousands, in this case, of the list that we have here, um, river blindness, rim infection, schistosomiasis, leishmaniasis, and Chagas disease. We let these people die because they are irrelevant people. Um, And so
2: while we pretend like
0: we're doing something to help, uh, that's not the case. But Major General Philip Russell was one of the few... uh, army officers to attain the rank of major general as a scientist and researcher. And he was a pioneer in virology. And if you go back and you look at all of the places where he worked, including the Walter Reed army Institute of research and the U S army Institute of infectious Diseases at Fort Detrick, Maryland, what you find is that not only was he extremely involved in that very same problem that we heard the open philanthropy people worry about, which is yeah. this idea that maybe we could do something in a lab that would make a pathogen more pathologic. But it's actually an interesting that you see what else he did?
2: Ooh, look at that.
0: Served as a member and chair of the Sabin Vaccine Institute. He also led efforts internationally at the World Health Organization to reorganize global governance of the injections, eventually leading to the formation of the Bill yeah, and Melinda Gates Foundation Ooh. zone gabby isn't it amazing that these parties are all linked together and it's not like a little bit linked together they are massively linked together and the reason why this is important is because a lot of people don't seem to pay attention to the fact that these people are actually just real people they're not they're not like they're not a massive army of people these are these are real people, and they have real names, and they have real identities, and they mm-hmm. work for real institutions. And you didn't know that Baylor College of Medicine didn't want you to see the article I just showed you. Yep. Why I'm on earth? Why on earth would they actually take that article down? It's an obituary to a guy they say they're actually celebrating. Yep, and they
2: removed it. It's too much evidence in there. But they remove
0: it because they don't want anybody to see that it's actually Baylor College of Medicine and the entire Gavi Alliance and the Gates Foundation and together. the Skull Foundation and the Open Philanthropy Foundation, all of them going together, actually want to make sure that you and I cannot see what, in fact, is going on. So I figured before they the take dots. it down, before they take it down, I'm going to go ahead and and do a little bit of a Hall of Fame of the people that you're not supposed to know about. These oh, are people who... Um, no, you do know. According to the powers that be, we're not supposed to say their names in public. So we gonna Kim. What do you think? Should we actually? Should we actually do the just unsavory their, um, their minutes of thing fame. to do, which is to actually? Are you ready for this? Yeah, just um, I don't know.
2: Here we go. Should we just
0: read out the names yeah, of the people that we're out. not supposed to know about? Because Give obviously, um, we're not supposed to know about these people. Um, but these are the people and the institutions, and this is an important thing. These are people and institutions who who are acting in your best interest. Mm-hmm. These are people who whose job it is to make sure that you, the impoverished and mentally lacking acuity, uh, public don't know what's in your best interest. These are the people who looking have your you. best interest at heart. So let's go ahead and let's make sure that the people who have your best interest at heart get mentioned. So Stanley Lemon, School of Medicine, University of Texas, Galveston, Texas. Kim, mm-hmm. remember Texas? And by the way, let's take a moment, shall we, just to reflect on something. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm fascinated by the number of people who tell me, well, thank God we have Republicans that are at least holding the ground on, on, on uh, some sanity. Um, I think it's worth noting that Ronald Reagan was a Republican, and in 1986, he he signed the Childhood Injury Act called the 86 Act. George Bush, a Texas Republican, Mm. did you notice I said Texas Republican? A Texas Republican in 2005 signed the PREP Act, and Donald J. Trump, also a Republican, signed the executive order to get Operation Warp Speed going. In September of 2019, a full three Three months before there was a reason to do it. So those of you think that this is a political affiliation game, it isn't. This is a game of people buying influence. And if you have a doubt about that, let me get rid of the doubt. Because I have now met with several Republican attorneys general, one Republican governor, and a number of other Republican elected officials in law enforcement. And do you realize not one of them,
2: not one is standing, not
0: one of them has even lifted a finger to make sure that you citizens of the world are actually given the opportunity to have any justice. So Stanley Lemon, Margaret Hamburg, the nuclear threat initiative. We talked about that before, right? Mm -hmm. That's the organization that's at 600 I Street in Washington, D.C., P. Frederick Spaulding, are you ready for this, Kim? University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, say it ain't Uh, so. You mean UNC Chapel Hill has been involved in the gain-of-function research that's actually been said to be illegal? How about David Atchison, Center for Food Safety and Applied Nutrition? That seems pretty Mm -hmm. innocent, working on biological and chemical weapons. Ruth Berkelman, Emory University, Center for Public Health. No, not the Emory in Atlanta, Georgia. You mean the, the Emory? the one that's all about public health, the one that's all about looking after humans, that one. But now let's get some interesting names and people. I'm reading these so you look. You need to look at these people and you need to look at these organizations. Robert, Roger Breeze of the Centaur Science Group. You haven't heard about them before, no, have you? I
2: haven't heard that one.
0: How about Stephen Brickner, oh, Pfizer, Pfizer Global Research in Groton, Connecticut? How about and Tarr? Enriqueta Bond bond. Burroughs Welcome Fund at, are you ready for this? Research Triangle Park, North Carolina. I'll tell you what, the Tar tar Heels have more tar on their heels than (laughs) they need at this point in time. The Burroughs Welcome Fund. Nancy Carter Foster, the Program for Emerging Infectious and HIV at Department of State. Gail Castle at Eli Lilly in Indianapolis. And that's the same Eli Lilly, by the way, that funds most of those little tiny Midwestern colleges. You know because because they're trying to make sure that they get um just the corporate philanthropy it's really what it's about it's not about influence it's not about making no. sure that you buy professors you in. in colleges and universities it's about making sure that you spread the love of education that eli Lilly. how about bill colston lawrence livermore national laboratories or ralph erickson global emerging infection surveillance at the Department of Defense in Silver Spring, Maryland. Merck Vaccine Division, Mark Feinberg. Patrick Fitch of the National Biodefense Analysis and Countermeasures Center in Frederick, Maryland. Daryl Galloway, Medical and Science and Technology Defense Threat Reduction Agency, Fort Belvoir, Virginia. Elizabeth George, Biological and Chemical Countermeasures Program at the Department of Homeland Security. Mm. Jesse Goodman, Center for This is CBER. This is the FDA at, in Rockville. You know the independent agency that reviews yeah, things. Re- remember that. Great to have so this. How about Eduardo Gortzio, Institute de Medicina Tropical, Alexander von Humboldt Universidad Peruna, Peruna, Peruna Perana, Cayento, Arida, Lima, Peru. Joe Handelsman, College of Agricultural Sciences, University of Wisconsin. University of Wisconsin. Mm. Wisconsin seemed to be one of those places that seemed to be promoting all kinds of the uh, craziness early on and, yeah, and yeah, we that. can't understand why. Maybe there was mu- 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 money involved. Did I say that out loud? Carol Heilman. Indeed, too. That sounds like a German name that, mm. you know, involves a salute. I don't know. Division of Microbiology and Infectious Disease at NIAID. That's Anthony Fauci's lovely thing. David Heyman, Polio Eradication at The Who. Phil Halsbach, New Products and Immunization at Sanofi Pasteur. James Hughes, Global Infectious Disease Program at Emory University. Stephen Johnson, Arizona Biodesign Institute. Have a look at that one, people. The Biodesign Institute. That's a lot of fun. Gerald Kuish or Kuish or whatever that is Boston University School of Medicine Rima Kabas at the National Center for Preparedness Detection and Control of Infectious Diseases at the CDC Lonnie King Center for Zoonotic Vector-Borne Enteric Diseases at the CDC George Korsh United States Army Medical Research Institute for Infectious Disease U.S. AMRED for those of you who are following the acronyms Joshua Lederberg, Rockefeller University, Lynn Marks, GlaxoSmithKline, Pennsylvania, Edward McSquigan, NIAID again, Again. Stephen Morse, Center for Public Health Preparedness at Columbia University, Michael Osterholm, CIDREP all over again, George Post, Arizona Biodesign Institute, Stanford, uh, David Relman, Stanford University, Gary Rosell. Central Office of the Veterans Health Administration, Janet Shoemaker, Public Health Affairs for the American Society of Microbiology, Brian Staskowitz, Department of Plant and Microbiology at University of California, Berkeley, and Terrence Taylor, International Council for Life Sciences Washington, D.C. Now, why would I read these people out loud? And I'll tell you the reason why. These are people who directly or indirectly have personally benefited from the financial largesse of just a generous soul. And the reason I'm showing you this is because in many ways, this is a map of how the pandemic of propaganda
2: yep,
0: actually mind. moves. Because what we just did is we just went through the list of what I call patient two, three, four, five, six, et cetera. This mm-hmm. is where one person with a checkbook has a disease. Yep, The disease is called a willful act of domestic terrorism to manipulate a population into doing something they would not otherwise do so you start with that then what you do is you actually spread that infection to other people yep. these are the first patients that were infected mm-hmm. by the infection of hey let's so terrorize painful. the population yep. to get people doing a thing that they wouldn't otherwise do and it turns out that if you do that often enough the great news is you can do it often enough that you actually stop caring and that leads me to my final it, my final person and i really want to celebrate this person because i feel like she hasn't gotten enough airtime and i feel like she really should because of all the most prescient people in the world the people who actually have had the finger on the pulse of things before they could be known and before they could happen this person happens to be the single best forecaster in the world
2: Great, can't wait to make and and
0: and i'll tell you what as a forecaster you sit back and you go oh my gosh um you know they used to say that weather forecasters are only right when they're looking out the window and they go hey the forecast is for rain why because it's raining now good forecasters (laughs) can give you an idea by looking at the radar that maybe you're going to get a thunderstorm in the next six to 12 hours that's that's kind of a good thing but this person that you're about to meet this one person that you're about to meet is better than all those forecasters, Kim. Right. She yeah. has the ability, she has the ability to actually forecast events that don't even have theoretical possibilities Ooh. before they happen. And then,
2: not dangerous. only does she have
0: the ability to forecast them, but she has the ability to forecast them with precision. Like a year or more out, she has the ability. To tell the world what's coming. Now, I, for one, thought, my gosh! I thought I was good. Yep, you know, you. I did the ten years hence lecture, and and got the order of bank failures in the 2008 financial crisis two years before it happened um, because I did something like I don't know, read contracts <laughs> that had maturity dates on them. That's how I was so cunning so and, clever. and 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 yes, yeah, so clever as you like to say, say it your way, clever, clever with an I Oh, so clever <laughs> um but but um no this person is better than me Kim I have to say well,
2: let's introduce her
0: because she has the ability to, the to psychically see a pathogen see it on the horizon write about it forecast its arrival and tell you how it's going to roll out before the thing actually even exists
2: mm. isn't that brilliant
0: <laughs> so so let's meet the person who happens to have the control of how the hell you know what's happening in the world? And it's none other than our dearly beloved Yamin or Yeah ja- Jamie. I'm going with Jamie. That was exotic. Yassif. Yamin. <laughs> now let's have a look because I thought it doesn't do us any good if we just look at this person from the Nuclear Threat Initiative and go. Well, Dave's picked on the nuclear threat initiative before, so it would be a bummer if he's just picking on, I don't know, an innocent woman who has a, I don't know, a name that suggests that maybe she is an immigrant personality or derived from immigrant seed. And so maybe I'm just a racist. Maybe this is white privilege. Maybe (laughs) it's something else. So I figured rather than let our story end with that. I I thought maybe we'd scroll down just a little bit, shall we? Let's let's do the big unveil because I thought maybe it would be a good idea to see, um, where Dave Martin gets all of his information.
4: Mm
0: -hmm. Hey Kim, I've done a lot of talking on this show. Why don't you share with us, um, what this particular paragraph that I've just highlighted says, and just read it for the viewers.
2: Oh, read it for you all. You ready, people?
0: Because I think it's time? kind of interesting.
2: Prior to this, Dr. Yes. Oh,
0: what's the this? Prior to taking over the NTI's oh, yes, sorry. Global Biologic Policy Program at NTI. Prior to that.
2: Prior to that, she served as a program officer at the Open Philanthropy Project. Oh,
0: my gosh.
6: No, who? Who?
2: Who? Not open philanthropy. Oh my gosh! So hold on
0: a second. Let me just see if I can collect my thoughts here because I'm so shocked.
5: There's
2: you mean link. so
0: the person who's actually running the racket on the monkeypox program? You mean that person wasn't just paid by Dustin Moskowitz, She actually worked for him for several years. Why don't you go ahead and keep reading because you've got my interest
2: very much. Ooh, paid okay, now. I'll keep going. Where she led the initiative on biosecurity and pandemic preparedness. Mm-hmm. In this role, she recommended and managed approximately $40 million in biosecurity grants. That's $40 a lot of money. million. Dollars. So I wonder,
0: Kim, I wonder if there'd be an interest among the viewers to know what other projects besides, I don't know, Monkeypox, Event 201 on COVID or Clade I wonder if there'd be any other interest in finding out where those projects were. What
2: do you think? I don't know. Maybe.
0: Yeah, See. maybe. Keep going.
2: Which rebuilt the field the field, and supported work in several key areas, including development of new biosecurity programming at several leading think tanks, mm. cultivation of new talent, new talent, new dodgy people, new <laughs> biosecurity leadership development programs. Okay, now here we
0: go. Here we go. Here we go. Here's the
2: keeper, people. Initiation of new biosecurity work in China and India. Establishment of the Global Health Security Index, development of the (laughs) CladeX tabletop exercise and the emergence of a new discussion about global catastrophic biological risks. You're busy.
0: Isn't it amazing? Isn't it wonderful that this one individual, this one individual who who happens to be at the author byline of... So much of what has been served this goes on a little bit more you can go through the rest of it on my telegram. Let's go through more because I thought gosh we got to share more
5: actually having one animal learn something and seeing and recording that activity and put it into the sensory cortex of the second animal and that animal acquires the knowledge uh, from the human drone technology standpoint you can attach the human brain to another human brain you can direct motor activity, Or you can send communication and information Um, dr ventner's work is my my view the equivalent of the development of nuclear weapons when you realize uh, that he created life in a cell he programmed yeast cells to produce anything he wanted these can be inserted into you through the hypospray needles you put in a specific gene slicing you program what you like you put it in the cell and it can reproduce and make as much as you like. It sends a signal and tells which portion of the DNA should unwrap, unfold, and produce a product. Related to this is an idea called DREADS. These are designer receptors that can be remotely controlled. You can create a cell, you can put it somewhere in the body, and you can remotely activate it. So you have the capacity to create any product, as long as you know the DNA sequence, you can insert it into a living system, and you can remotely control it. It may affect the way you think, the way you act. So once you know that the technology is there to edit, splice, and program a cell, and the technology...
4: Since 2009.
5: ...administer it to somebody and have it go park anywhere. You program it to go park, proliferate, and do its function. You can have things activated in other people's brains. Just people have figured out how to hide imagery, in the DNA of bacteria. You can have the information uh, reproduced in a string form as a form of a protein. The new way to uh, hide information is gonna be in DNA. This is the first experiment showing what imagery you can hide in bacteria. This is the latest. It's a GIF file. Well, this is what the Chinese are doing with DNA. Merging DNA systems with quantum uh, uh, computing will be really quite an amazing and both lethal threat the next thing I wanted to mention to you is memory. Can we erase memory? Can we modify memory? Can we change memory? The short answer is yes.
7: Whoa.
8: We talk about this a lot now, but, you know, when you're talking about a dysregulated immune system, um, you know, it, it, that and any other disease, you know, fasting, whether you do, uh, to, you know, restricted time uh, eating, where you restrict yourself to certain windows, or you do repeated cereal fast, like a day or two a week, you don't eat for a day. For some, the latter is, is a lot more difficult. But fasting really kind of triggers the body into a state of like, uh, repair and regeneration. It gets rid of diseased cells and tissues um, and, and it's, it's helped to heal a lot of chronic illnesses and especially, uh, you know, and it can even uh, stimulate stem cells. And so, so we do think a backbone of some sort of fasting, right? We're not really supposed to eat three times a day with snacks in between, um, you know, giving yourself uh, uh, periods of the day or, or times of the week where you're not challenging yourself with food will help your body heal. Ivermectin is the backbone to what I do. Um, uh, and by the way, this is kind of my protocol. Our updated protocol has things separated a little bit because. but these are the kind of things that I'm doing like first line. Ivermectin, I will tell you my patients, I consider my patient and my practice, I, I, I kind of split everyone up into ever, Ivermectin responders and Ivermectin non-responders. The majority respond to Ivermectin to some small, moderate or large way. Um, when it's, when it's a minimal benefit and or they don't respond, I find those patients much more complex and I'm doing a lot more trial and error. Um, but I've gotten fantastic recoveries with almost ivermectin alone, um, but we do pair it with other things. So hydroxychloroquine, if I use it, um, I use it in a staggered fashion. I, I will use it almost as a second line. I don't use it sort of upfront, but I will start it within a week or two if I'm not getting the kind of response I want from ivermectin. I put everyone on a, on a regimen of oral vitamin C, you know, at higher doses than what's being used, you know, obviously in illness vitamin C is depleted, you know, absorption kinetics are such that, you know, you really kind of want to take it three times a day. Um, and I try to get them to a significant dose, not only for its immune modulating effects, but it's an important uh, source for the microbiome for the more protective populations of the microbiome, you know, vitamin C has a big impact. Like Richard mentioned, vitamin D, vitamin K2, um, low dose naltrexone. I oftentimes will pair that with ivermectin because it has a lot of uh, different impacts, you know, Richard mentioned toll like receptors and it, it's immunomodulatory and we're getting increasing clinical feedback. I've seen it myself and others uh, have just found uh, a lot of help in, in long haul and post-vaccine syndromes. And then we have other just um, compounds that are really safe, that have a number of different uh, uh, positive impacts, either uh, anti-inflammatory, immunomodulatory. So melatonin, magnesium, uh, quercetin, um, probiotics, prebiotics, you know, there's many different types out there. I'm now using actually a product from the UK in all my patients because they had a, a, a really good trial on them, but it's a combination pre and probiotic. Um, obviously uh, omega-3 fatty acids, and then in some, you know, we'll start aspirin, and then I use this kind of natural fibrinolytic enzyme, lumbrokinase, I'm using that, and I've found, you know, some patients will really respond to that, and it's always surprising, because I never know which one of these is going to have the impact, but I sometimes get really strong uh, responses um, beyond what I talked about from, like, lumbrokinase and others will swear by Nigella sativa. They're like, when I started that, I started to feel better. And so it's weird. I mean, the, the one nice thing about doing trial and error with patients is that these all of these compounds are like generic repurposed and have extremely wide safety profiles. So it's not like you're gonna hurt anyone. The anticoagulation is the, the, the one one that I have a lot of caution around, because I don't want to, you know, I certainly would never want to have anyone suffer a, a, any kind of dangerous bleed. What's nice is lumbrokinase is an enzyme which has also a very uh, long and, and high safety profile. Well,
5: you mentioned about the, uh, you know, the third vaccine, I have so many people I'm coming across uh, that I'm meeting socially telling me about family members that have uh, stage four lymphoma came out of yeah. nowhere. And so, it's shocking. I'm like, it's it's just shocking. So I didn't mention that, but my background's in oncology, by the way. And, uh, um, and so, um, yeah, we're seeing a tremendous uptick in cancers. Um, I'm having... Um, I'm having recurrences in people who were 10 years clear I had three in one period after the third booster. I haven't had any in in a couple of months, but I mean, I'm talking people that were clear of their tumors 10 years, which is almost unheard of be clear 10 years and then have it come back. But then a very short period and came back very aggressively. Um, And it, it, it literally took me back on my heels a little because these are people that I basically come in and I've become friends with and Hey, everything's good. And, and just to see them um, um, have the recurrence and come back so aggressively when I thought we were pretty much had uh, you know, finished that off. So.
1: so check this out. I'm blocking out with this piece of paper and this pen, certain keywords that you don't want on your Instagram just cause it puts that stupid thing to cdc.gov. But uh, look at this QR code, the QR code that people have holds a lot more information on them than they may think. Okay, this is Canada's QR code, but many countries have the similar thing. Look at all the information it has on you. Religion, organ donor, driver's license, marital status, known as access, reserved for future use. So that's a thing that they're gonna have more info in the future. Allergies, gender identity, smoker, uh, sex. Uh, are you a firearms owner? Uh, are you a restricted firearms owner? Uh, are you, do you have any warrants? And then look at this, what's your credit score? How many accounts do you have? How much do you owe? What did you make this year? What did you make last year? This is how much information that QR code will have. This will be the social credit system on steroids, if not a carbon copy of it. And this is what people are being, it is being imposed on. Uh, That's being imposed on them. And the only power this has is the power you give it. If everyone refuses, good luck with this system, man.
7: So this is part two to those black parasitic black worms that uh, my wife and I discovered on her her work masks when she goes to the hospital. And what we've discovered is is that, you know, it's definitely hydroactive, meaning that we have tried other things. We have tried, you know, black cloth. We have tried, you know, hair. We have tried uh, uh, fibers from the actual mask, uh, thread. We've tried everything that looks as close to these little black parasitic worms um, but they're very distinctive on the mask, and so they're easy to identify. And what I did was is, you know, again, to see if it's only, you know, active uh, underwater, um, you know, we tried a number of other things. But here you can see I, I put a little toothpick right there to drop some water in, and you'll see how it moves. So here's the toothpick. You see me bringing it in, and then you'll see it move. And what I am going to do is I'm going to speed it up so that you can see it move. So there you have it. So these little worms move underwater. And, and what I did was, is I got another uh, 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 microscope that has a 2000 by zoom lens. And as you can see these little hooks right here, they're all up and down this little parasitic worm looking thing. And when I hit play, you can see it move even more. See that? See how it moves, it's moving away from, and then it's going towards the water, but slightly out of focus from, from, the, uh, from the lens. Okay, and then right there, I'm speeding it up, trying to get towards that water. So we wanted to see this under my wife's skin. And so we took a laser scope and there you have it right there under my wife's skin. And you can see how right here at the tail starts to barrel itself into the skin. And over here, here's a perfect example of one that once it gets on the face and there's moisture in the skin, it starts to burrow itself inside the skin. So we've used a, uh, what's a, this, this green organic mask that my wife puts on her face and, and wipes it away with these little white pads, these soft cotton pads. But here you can see that it does work to scrape it off. But what we don't know is, you know, we, we don't know, of course, the long term effects. We know her face is broken out. We don't know how deep they are into her throat or her lungs. Um, we do know that you know every time she scrapes her face, we date it. These masks are the ones that she's worn, we date it. And then, of course, these are the ones that she wears at work. And there's the uh, Chinese label that, that the, these masks come from China that the hospital uh, forces her to have to wear and use. So... Test everything before you believe in anything. I've heard that this is more I've heard that potentially it could be graphene oxide. But, again, we're still doing a lot of testing. Do they grow? What else happens? So there are a lot of things that we're looking into. So, you know, again, this, this stuff is garbage. you got to test it. You know, don't take my word for it, but, you know, do it yourself, and you'll see. There's something very nefarious going on.
0: Well, certainly if you have a microscope. Um, this is why a rub of essential oils on there. But here's more
3: all-cause mortality for 2022 this year first 17 weeks now we saw in 2021 if you remember that associated with the vaccine rollout there was a very corresponding rise in all-cause
4: mortality now all-cause mortality is recorded by a lot of governments around the world It's a weekly record of how many people died and doesn't actually say why they died, it's just the fact that they died. The first graph I've got here is of all-cause mortality from the 17th of February 2019 all the way through to uh, the 2nd of uh, January 2022. Now, this brown part of the graph here is the nine-month vaccine rollout period and that's what I'll be mostly talking about. Um, so to get an idea of the numbers of deaths that happened during this period, as you can see there, there's quite a big slug of deaths there. The first thing I did was compare with exactly the same time in the previous year, which is just down here. There's the dates there that I've, I looked at, and the result is this. There are 1,999 more deaths in the same period in 2020, this period here. And there was no flu season here or here. So the question is, why were there 2,000 extra deaths in this nine months. The other thing I did was to compare it with this flu season over here, 2019 was quite a serious flu season, it seems. Um, and so there's a lot of similarity between these two castles, so to speak, but this one is still larger, and it's larger by 50 more deaths. So there were 50 more deaths here when there was no flu than there was over here when there was flu. And again, the question is, why?
3: And now we're starting to get into 2022. And what is the situation here? Well, the solid blocked orange is the excess mortality compared to the historical average from the year 2010 to 2019. So the blue line is the historical average, which you can see starts off somewhere around uh, 560 in midsummer and then goes up into the winter uh, weeks. But the solid black line are the figures for excess mortality. Now, if you add up all the people covered there in the first 17 weeks, approximately four months, it comes to 2,200 excess deaths.
5: Mm.
3: Now, during that period, there have been less than 450 deaths that are estimated by the government to be caused by covid so we're looking at 8 months in 2021 where we had 2000 excess deaths while the vaccine was rolled out now we're in 2022 we're looking at a rate that is uh 50% more than that now so we are running an excess death rate here and uh, we have to be, uh, the government has to be investigating it. We're seeing these reports like we saw on News Hub, where um, it, they're saying a cardiologist appears and says we're having a lot of, you know, cardiac events must be due to COVID. Tidafati cardiologist Jerry Devlin says he's seeing a number of people with post-COVID heart issues. With the increase
5: in Omicron transmission in our communities, we are definitely seeing people that are coming to see
3: us. But look into it. It's not due to COVID. It's not associated with COVID. Studies overseas in Israel have shown that cardiac events there are related to vaccination statistically, but unrelated to prior COVID infection.
0: Bruce Reimer was a boy born in
6: Winnipeg. There are design principles you would you would put in place when you're designing a vaccine. Um, First, you you want the human body to um, manufacture some part of the virus, some part of the pathogen that it's going to it's like a rehearsal. You're going to the idea was you develop immunity to that, but you would pick a part of the organism, I say, I would put to you and your listeners, that's not intrinsically harmful. We knew before they chose it that the sticking out spike bit on the outside of these viruses is of a family of superficial proteins that are known to be biologically active, to have neurological effects, to have thromboembolic or blood clot effects and more. So I knew that as soon as I did a little bit of basic research, I realised they'd picked spike protein. Uh, on the surface, and I knew at that point there was going to be significant safety problems. You know, I didn't know how many, but I knew they picked the dang- inherently the most dangerous part of the vaccine. Um, next, you would pick a part of the of the organism that is genetically most stable. Well, they picked the bit that, that apparently mutates most quickly. So, it, and you, and I, I knew that meant that as soon as the standard genetic drift occurred, the vaccines will stop working and then finally you must try and pick a part of the organism that's most different from you so that when you invoke elicit an immune response to that it won't overlap and hit you but unfortunately the spike protein although not very similar is least dissimilar from human proteins there are dozens of human proteins that are slightly similar and i think that makes autoimmune responses very likely here's the thing maybe i'm wrong about all of this stuff but don't you think it's really interesting that all four companies independently chose to encode in their gene-based vaccines the same bit of spike protein? I, I've spoken to many peers, uh, retired people mostly, in my industry. And I, and I said, if we were running a, uh, a brainstorm, you know, leading a, a session, what's the chance that we would all come up with you know, choosing what I've just said is the suboptimal choice. And they went, well, obviously you wouldn't pick this. And I said, well, so what do you make of all four companies doing the same thing? There's a long delay. And they said, they must have decided to do it together. I said, so I think collusion and malfeasance is evident there.